you have your Bible, let's jump straight into the Word this morning. Turn with me, if you can, to the New Testament book of Philemon. Philemon is where we're going to be going today. It is uh, right before the book of Hebrews in your New Testament, and uh, I, I, I love the Word. I believe that when we come together in the church, we should get filled with God's Word so that when we leave this place, we have an understanding of who He is and also who we are. And uh, last week, we kicked off a message series from this one-chapter book in the New Testament called Philemon. And if you've never heard of it, I'm going to give you some context in just a second. Philemon, one chapter. We're going to start in verse 8. When you're ready this morning, say, I'm ready. If you need a second, say second. Yeah, Philemon's in there, I promise. If you can't find it, just pretend. (laughs) I'm in Revelation, but it's Philemon. Philemon, starting in verse 8, here reads the word of the Lord. It says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Remember, this is a letter from a man named Paul, and he's writing to a guy named Philemon. And the reasons why, I'll share within a second. Verse 9, For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I'm Paul. I'm an old man now, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Okay, some, some still are wondering what's happening. Remember, Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave. And so we are in the ancient problem of slavery, still exists today in different parts of the world, but we are dealing with the ancient topic of slavery, and Philemon had a slave that ran away and met Jesus while he ran away. And while he ran away, Paul, the apostle, meets him and says, you need to go back and ask for forgiveness. Just in case you didn't know, it was that tense. Okay, verse 13, during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be under compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. All that to get us to verse 16. This is my starting point. No longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I want to draw your attention again to verse 16 this morning out of the book of Philemon. Philemon, who has been stolen from, betrayed, lied to, and hurt, is asked by Paul to welcome this man back, not in the same position he left in, but actually as a brother. I want to talk to you today on the topic of forgiveness. My sermon title is The Unforgiving Christian. Let's pray. Father, help us today. We need you more than ever. We know that forgiveness is so important to our faith. God, I ask that you would help us unpack it and deal with it in a mature and healthy way. I thank you for the freedom that we're going to experience after this message. I thank you for bringing things to our minds, but more importantly, speak to our hearts today that we might know you and see you in all we do. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Turn to somebody next to you say, it's going to be good today. It's going to be good today, I promise. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, before I moved to California as a 13-year-old kid, my family and I uh, moved in different parts of the East Coast. Originally, I was born in Illinois, and then when I was three years old, we moved to Manhattan, 
And then when I lived in Manhattan for a few years, we spent a majority of our time in New Jersey, and then from New Jersey to Massachusetts, and then Massachusetts to California, just in case you didn't know. I was originally in New Jersey for the longest amount of time, so I always claim I'm from Jersey. It was like seven years I lived there. And I remember out front of our house in New Jersey, there was this tree that my sister and I could climb. And so I was like eight years old at the time. My sister was six. And we had always talked about when we were going to finally climb this tree. And so her and I concocted a little plan. I was like, if you give me three of your Pokemon cards, I'll let you climb the tree with me. You know, this was my childhood in a nutshell. And so my sister and I go out to this tree, and I remember her saying, you know, climb up there, and then what we'll do is you'll pull me up, or, you know, we can get up there together. And so I got up there, and I pulled her up, and then we were hanging out, and then she got down first, and she said, come down, I'm going to catch you. And I was like, I couldn't really get down. And I said, are you sure you'll catch me? She's six. I'm eight, but I'm looking at her like, you got me, right? And she said, yes, and once I let go, she jumped out of the way, and I came down, and I twisted my ankle and actually fractured my ankle. And for the next, like, three months, I was on crutches. And the entire time I was on crutches, every time I would come around my sister, I would just look at her and go, you, you promised, you promised. And I just remember after a while, my mom finally came to me, and she said, Billy, you have to forgive your sister. And I said, no, I don't. And she said, no, you don't understand. Of everyone that needs forgiveness, it's your family that needs it the most. Now, when you hear that statement, immediately your defense mechanism goes on. And something like, well, you don't know what my family did, though. Like, it's not just a broken ankle, Billy, that my family caused me. It's not just a little bit of pain that my family caused me. But I'm wondering today if the subject of forgiveness is so Uh, heavy for us to deal with that maybe we don't even try to deal with it. As Christians, we're not just called to forgive certain types of people. We're actually specifically called to forgive each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. As we started our topic last week, we read about this man, Philemon, that has been hurt and betrayed. His slave has ran away from him, stolen from him, and has probably concocted some plan against him to come back. We know that Philemon is an influential man. We know he's a Christian now. We know he's a leader in his local church. We know that he has influence in the town. The Bible actually tells us that Philemon has a church in his his house. One day, the Apostle Paul sends him a letter. And the Apostle Paul starts off by saying, if you didn't hear this last week, you go watch it. The Apostle Paul starts off by saying how much he loves Philemon and how proud he is of Philemon and how good God has been to Philemon. Because hear me today, if you don't know what God has done for you, you will never understand how you're supposed to treat people. Hurt people hurt people. You heard that before. When we don't understand the actual love that God has given us, we won't know how to give love to others. And so you could say it like this, I give love because I have been loved. But if you've ever had a dry season in your marriage or your relationship, you know how hard it is to give it when you're not getting it. Be honest with me at 9 a.m. Like, there's times in our life where we're dry in our output because there's nothing actually filling us and coming into us. And so Philemon is hearing this, and he's going, oh, yeah, God loves me. And then all of a sudden, he gets to that moment where he says, you know your boy, Onesimus, Nissi, we could call him? He ran away. Nissi ran away, and uh, I'm actually sending him back. Philemon must have heard that his heart would have dropped. 
Now, I want to remind you what Paul said in verse 5 of Philemon when he's writing to him. He says this, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for what all the saints. Let's read it again. His intro is, I hear of your love, Philemon, and the faith that you have in Jesus and the love you have for who? All the saints. So you love not just God, but you love all his people. You know, you, you can't say that today. I love God, but don't love his people. That, that, those are, you can't take those separately. If you love God, you love his people. Are his people imperfect? Yes. Is it easier to love God than people? Yes. But the truth of the matter is, we're called to have love for all the saints. We're supposed to have an equal understanding of all people, but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it funny, though, the people we have the most grudges with are often our brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it funny how the most drama in a church doesn't have to do with found people and lost people? It has to do with found people and found people. We ought to have love for each other. Later on in Galatians, here's what Paul says, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, watch this, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, so Philemon is hearing about Onesimus, and Paul is saying, Onesimus is a Christian now. So he's your brother, Philemon. I know you used to be his master, but now Jesus is his master. And now you are united as brothers. I think it's so frustrating, though, because we meet Jesus, and then we think it's just between us and him. And that the way we see him is just us and him, and we don't have to change how we see people. A lot of the damage done in religion is because people meet religion, but they never meet a person. They meet a set of systems and a standard oper operating procedure for life, but they never encounter a divine man that actually walked on the face of this earth. There's people that can recite the liturgy, but don't know how to pray and actually have a relationship with God. Friends, I think that if we understand who he is, we will understand how we treat each other. Because watch this, once you meet Jesus, it radically changes how you see everything else. Did you hear what I just said? Once you meet him, it changes how you see everything else. The great C.S. Lewis said, I believe in God like I believe in the sun. Not that I can look directly at the sun, but that by, by the sun, I see everything else. I know God's real, not because I can see him, but because I can see everything else. I know Jesus is a forgiving God because I can see all the pain I caused others, and yet he forgave me. And so when we get into the topic of forgiveness, let us not forget we are forgiven. And you cannot forgive others until you first yourself have been forgiven. Are you hearing me this morning? This is what I'm thinking lately about my life and thinking about my family and my friendships. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost midway through my 30s, and I think many of us look back at our high school relationships and then those relationships in our 20s and then as you get more established or you get married or you find your career, all of a sudden relationships change. and You don't see people as much. You don't talk to people as much. But this principle is true about all relationships. The quality of your relationships are determined by how you handle conflict. When you look at a relationship you have, how good or bad that relationship is, is determined by how do you handle conflict. See, I know that we're brothers and sisters in Christ when we're all in church, but how about when I'm on the side of the road and I'm in need of somebody? How about when there's actually disagreement within the church and I actually wanna go forward with this person, but I have to first forgive what they've done? 
not an easy thing to do, but remember, Paul has to do this. Philemon has to do this. Onesimus has to do this. We have to do this. No matter how hard you shake it, we all have conflicts in our life. And how we handle those conflicts determines how our relationships go. Paul has a conflict. Now, let's just imagine Paul in this story. We know that this is probably the third time that Paul has been imprisoned as he's writing Philemon. It would have been anywhere from 55 AD to 61 AD, because we know during those six years, Paul was in prison three times, and he writes a majority of his letters from prison. And so we know that Paul is an older man. We know that he is probably in Rome at this time as he's writing. If Paul would have followed Roman law when Onesimus would have came to him, he would have turned him into the Roman authorities, and Paul would have got blessed for it. Paul might have actually got out of prison if he turned in Onesimus. Think about that. And all of a sudden, the slave comes to Paul. And instead of just telling him, leave me alone, you're going to mess up my thing, he embraces him. He welcomes him. See, Roman law, Paul would have benefited if he would have turned in Onesimus. But there was actually a law in the Old Testament that Hebrews were supposed to follow when it came to slaves. Can I show it to you real quick? Do you care about it? (laughs) Okay, good. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Let me show you this. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose one of your towns, wherever it suits him. Watch this. If a slave comes to you, you shall not wrong him. I guess they forgot that verse during the Jim Crow slavery era. This is my problem, especially with like young college students that come up and they're like, the Bible is pro-slavery. And it's like, you don't even read the Bible. I'm sorry, let me vent for a second. Because everyone's so worried that like Philemon is a topic of slavery and how are you going to handle slavery? And it's like, you know, God sets slaves free. God frees people from bondage. And, And we look for this like justification for us to push away from God when really it's right here in the text. When a slave comes to you, you're supposed to let him do his thing. Not supposed to take him again, turn him back in. Can I teach for a second? Only forgiven people know how to forgive. Paul welcomes Philemon, I'm sorry, welcomes Onesimus because Paul realizes he's been forgiven. Paul too was a runaway. You and I too at one point in our lives were runaways. Some of you were running away this week. Until God told you it's time to come back to church. It's time to get in the house of God. See, we've got to have the right posture that Paul has because he he knows I could get angry about this runaway or I could welcome him and teach him something about the gospel. What if the most problematic people in your life are actually there so that you could teach them the gospel? Huh? You think you're getting annoyed. No, you've been assigned. You're you're getting frustrated with them. No, God sent them to you. I believe people show up in our lives not to mess with us, but so that we can set up the gospel for them. Well, they're not coming to church. Do they know you? Because if they know you, you could bring church to them, baby. Just let them know who Jesus is any chance you can. How do I forgive people? How do I let people in when I first realize I've been forgiven? There's a scripture in Proverbs 19, I was studying this week, and I love this, Proverbs 19, verse 11, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger. We get angry very quickly sometimes when we lack the sense for the situation going on. Watch this. And it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. 
later on in the New Testament, the apostle John writes, love covers, I'm sorry, this is 1 Corinthians 13, love covers a multitude of sins. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's, it's a glorious thing to overlook when someone hurts you, even if you have the right to get upset. So the question is, can Philemon overlook what Onesimus has done to him? That's what I want to look at for the rest of our time together. Philemon has a reason to kill Onesimus when he comes back into his life. Onesimus deserves death. Can Philemon forgive him? I've shared openly a lot of times about my relationship with my mom, with our church. And a lot of people don't know this, but the reason why we moved from Massachusetts to California is my mom was checking herself into a recovery center. And my family had dealt with her drug addiction and alcohol addiction for years. And this was kind of like the last chance. Like, you know, she went to California, got treatment, and then we came over and ended up moving there. Within six weeks, they divorced and my mom had left. And for years, I dealt with unforgiveness. For years, I tried to do that thing, forgive and forget. How many heard that thing? Forgive and forget. You're like, how? I don't think God asks us to forgive and forget. I think God asks us to forgive and forge. What do I mean by forge? Forge a new way forward with boundaries and a healthy understanding of things. I forgave my mom many years ago, but, but, but there are boundaries now, and there are things that make sure that the love is, is shown the best that I can, but things that can't happen because we forged a new way forward. Why do I say this? Because here's what I've learned in 10 years of dealing with unforgiveness with my mom. The effects of unforgiveness are as follows. First, bitterness. When you, unfor when you, when you have unforgiveness, you're just bitter towards everything. Just you like what you like, but everything else, you're just bitter about it. It tastes bad in your mouth. Can't be around certain people. Secondly, the effects of unforgiveness is isolation. Because you can't forgive them, you just retreat into your own comfort. How about this one? Distrust. Not just towards them, but towards everybody. Anybody that possesses any type of authority in your life, anybody that has any type of like, you know, say in your life, you don't trust them because of what happened that one time. Or maybe in my case, that one time happened for 10 years. I, I just, I want to share this. I'm not preaching this from like, you should do this. I'm like, I have to do this. Distrust. How about this? Number four, fear and worry. I haven't forgiven them, so I'm afraid if they come back into my life, what am I going to say? I'm worried if I run into them because, you know, in this town, you run into everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm worried if I run into them, what am I going to say? And, and because I haven't truly forgiven them, I'm worried and I'm afraid. And then that leads to this one, depression. And I'm kind of like, oh, are relationships even worth it? And lastly, that's a thing that goes to hindered perception. And hindered perception is you're seeing things that aren't actually there. And when people ask you questions, the first thing you think is, why are you asking? What do you want? What's the catch? You know what I'm saying? Even people can't come to Jesus today because they look at the gospel and they say, wait, I've been freely forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future. What's the catch? Are you following me this morning? The, the, the things that unforgiveness do, you start to invent a false narrative about somebody just because you haven't dealt with the things. Let me say this really quickly, just so you understand my heart. No one 
deserves to be forgiven. You don't know what they did to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God knows what you did to him. Yeah, but, 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 the, but the, I, didn't, I didn't intend to do that to God. You know, I love God. And it's like, no, all of us have fallen short is what the Bible says. None of us are righteous. No, not one is what the Bible says. We all have tried to make it to his glory and we've missed it. And so if it's a matter of does Onesimus deserve to be forgiven, no one does. If it's a matter of does your old boss deserve to be forgiven, your old coworker, your friend, situation, family, whatever it is, do they deserve? No. No, they don't. But this has been the framework of our series. You can't conquer something that you don't confront. And so they don't deserve it, but you do. They don't deserve the forgiveness for what they actually did to you, but you owe it to yourself to confront it and move forward in life. And listen, if you're here today and old things are being popped up in your mind and you've already properly forgiven and you feel good, don't go back into it and reinvestigate. But if you know exactly what I'm talking about, there's something that happens, someone doing something, you won't conquer the situation until you confront it. My pastor taught me about open, honest, responsible communication. And that when I confront somebody, I'm going to do it openly. I'm open to what they have to say. I want to hear the whole thing. I'm going to do it honestly. I'm not lying. I'm going to do it in a responsible way, you know, no easy jabs, no raising your voice, some of the basic fighting terms. We used to do a marriage series, and we had a message called How to Fight as a Couple. It was a popular series for sure. <laughs> it was. But you can't conquer what you don't confront. So what does forgiveness actually do then for you? What, what, what does forgiveness do? Because I'd like to challenge you today to take the position of Philemon. And think about the people that have walked out, that have left, that have betrayed, that have talked about you, that have if got you just sitting there scratching your head like, what? How? And I don't even want to try to pretend that some of us in this room, it was the people that were supposed to protect us that hurt us. Sometimes our own biological family, if not more often than not. So what, do, what does forgiveness actually do? First of all, number one, forgiveness changes me. It, it, it forgive, forgiveness changes me. It, it doesn't change the person that hurt you. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't change them. It changes you. You can forgive someone that hurts you, and they might go on the next week and do the very same thing to somebody else. But as you offer it, it starts to change in you. How many desperately desire change in their life? I, I don't know. I come to church every week expecting God to change something in me. Now, I don't, I don't come to church so high and mighty like, oh, okay, I'm doing just fine, and this is just going to pump me up. What did the Bible say? Knowledge puffs up. So what, we're going to fill ourselves with more knowledge? No, I want God to change me. Every week we sing that, basically. Make me more like Jesus. That's because it's actually something we want. So forgiveness changes me. Onesimus isn't the only one in chains in this situation. Until Philemon actually offers forgiveness, he too is in chains. Because unforgiveness chains you to an event, a situation, or a person. Is this good this morning? Can't even focus on what's in front of you because you're still thinking about the last person that hurt you. I'm telling you, you're going to get healed today. Colossians chapter 3 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, 
Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Don't you love that? The Bible leaves no wiggle room. It says you must forgive. This isn't a suggestion. This is, this is real stuff. Unforgiveness is sinful by nature because it hinders us from trusting God. Unforgiveness is like temporarily saying, I want to be the judge of this situation. It's, it's, it's a temporary you know, switch of you and God. You're like, I'm the judge here. I'll decide if he's worthy of it or not. And that, my friends, is dangerous when it comes to our faith. Here's the types of forgiveness. You know, I, I don't want to act as if you should just do it right away, too. Like, like, sometimes we actually need a real understanding of the damage that's been done, okay? I'm an advocate for therapy. I love Jesus, but I love therapy, too. And so, yes, like, absolutely, you want to forgive, but sometimes it takes a little longer to get to that point. You know, my wife and I went through therapy uh, three years into getting married. It was called soul care, and we did a whole year of treatment. And I can tell you the tangible moments in therapy where I felt the Holy Spirit, where God healed me of something, and I looked at my wife, my partner, and she looked at me and said, wow, I felt that thing leave too. Like, wow. Like, I'm an advocate. I think we need each other. You hear me? So here's the types of forgiveness. You might be at one of these levels. First is detached forgiveness. And detached forgiveness means I've reduced my negative feeling towards the person, but the relationship's not reconciled. Like, yeah, yeah, I forgive them, but, but I'm not even talking to them. Like, it's just, it's just not happening right now. Okay, this, this, is very, this is very much like where I am with my mom. I forgive her, but it's detached because I don't know her, and I don't know where she is, and I don't know, have contact, I don't know what's happening. I have forgiven, but the relationship is not restored. Okay, here's the second type, limited forgiveness. This means that the relationship, this means that you've reduced your feelings and there's partial restoration, but you're not as emotionally attached anymore. This is like forgiveness with boundaries. This is like, hey, that person hurt me. I'm probably not gonna share information with them anymore. That's healthy. <laughs> That's okay. You know, there's brothers and sisters in Christ that don't have to go around sharing every detail with each other. But you ought to have somebody you share every detail with. And so limited forgiveness is, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hurt, I'm not thinking bad about them. I see them still, I talk to them cordially, but it's just, it's not like it used to be. And then here's the third one, full forgiveness. And this is obviously, I have no negative feelings, and this relationship is fully restored. The heart of every Christian should be one day that that is what happens, okay? We can accept if it doesn't happen, and we can still move forward if it doesn't happen, but deep in our hearts, we long for that. We want that full restoration one day. Some of us may never experience that until we get to heaven. Some of us may never have a full reconciliation with someone that hurt us until the end of time. But it doesn't mean our hearts shouldn't ache for that. I mean, would you want God to say, oh, I kind of forgave you, but I'll only talk to you on Sundays? Would you want God to say like, oh, yeah, I, I forgive you, uh, but it's just not the same. I'm less emotionally attached to you now. No, we want God to fully forgive us and fully welcome us and fully walk with us. I was in Louisiana a couple months ago. I went to go preach for my best friend, and they've got seven locations at their church, and they had recently just opened a new one about 45 minutes south of where I was. And apparently, this was like the country country. You know what I mean? Like, it's Louisiana, but like they were like down there. That's like country. And so when someone from Louisiana calls a place country, I'm thinking that's country, country, you know? I'm like, okay, cool. And so we went down there, and uh, it's an 80-year-old church, about 400 people. 
And there's new two young pastors that were leading it, but the pastor that started it was there. This 80-year-old guy sitting on the front row with a cane, and I was preaching, and he's shouting me down, come on now, why? And I'm like, and that's why God does this. And he's like, woohoo! And I'm like looking at the front row, and it's just like this grandpa just like shouting me down, lifting his cane and stuff. Afterwards, I meet him, and he just, you know, prays for me and blesses me, and he says, let me tell you a story. About 40 years ago in this very building, what happened? And I go, okay. He goes, there's a penitentiary about six miles up the road. And one Sunday, there was a runaway inmate that came into our services. And he sat in there, and I got up, and I preached on forgiveness. And I preached on the story of Philemon and how Philemon had to welcome back the runaway. I called the altar. Can I tell you what happened, Billy? That prisoner came down, gave his life to Jesus, and he said, I was on my way to go murder my wife for putting me in this place. The pastor prayed for him. He says, I don't want to murder her anymore. And he's like, well, that's good. You know, and they prayed and, and they prayed and they have this epic moment. And then the prisoner gets ready to leave. And he says, son, you need to go back. And they drove him over to the penitentiary. That guy went on to start a Bible study in the prison, ended up getting multiple people saved, all because this pastor was willing to say, don't do it. You're forgiven. Let's now go forgive others. You want to go do this to your wife? Once you hear you've been forgiven, I bet you'll forgive her. This is the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness frees you from the need to get even. It frees you from having to be the one that says, okay, I'm going to get even now. Once you forgive, you don't need to do that. You don't have to. Forgiveness frees you from that. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean that person's not going to pay some way for what they did, but you're freed from having to be the one to rule out the judgment. So forgiveness changes you. Secondly, forgiveness is a choice. You have to choose to forgive. I can teach on it. God can speak to you about it. You can read about it. Someone else can bug you about it. But until you choose it's not actually forgiveness. Philemon, verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. You know, Paul is like, hey, Onesimus is a great team member. He's really helping me out here. I would love to keep him. Like, it's not like he's not going to help advance the gospel. He goes, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. What a bold statement. And he says this, in order that your goodness might not be under compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul says, I want you to welcome him, but it's gotta be your choice. It has to be something you choose. You know, this is one of my favorite arguments with atheisms, atheists and uh, people discussing the existence of God because they'll often come with something like, hey, if God is real, why is there so much pain and suffering? Why, why, why is there so much evil in the world if God is real? And, and, and I would say, well, if God told you there would be no evil, then there probably wouldn't be evil. But when did he ever say there wouldn't be evil? Like we hold him to an expectation he never gave us. And then they go, well, how can people do this to each other if they claim to know God? And that's because God gives us a choice. It's not love if there's not another choice. You're not showing God your devotion Sunday morning unless there was somewhere else you could go right now. Are you hearing me? What makes my love for my wife and her love for me real is she chose me Besides every other man in the world, that's what makes it love. And so if God wanted us to just come down here and obey him out of force, it wouldn't be genuine love. And so just like love is a choice, forgiveness is a choice. I have to choose to worship. Choice is what makes devotion real. 
God knows that we love him because we choose him. It's a choice to lift my hands and worship. Even when my situation is pulling me down, it's a choice to lift my hands. It's a choice to pray and prophesy. Even when all my friends are saying it's the worst time ever, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen, it's a choice to say God's not done with America. God's not done with this country. He's not done with Fredonia State. Why do you think we're going to a college campus for worship? Because there's already Christians on there already advancing the gospel. It's, it's a choice to worship. It's a choice to speak God's word over your situation. It's a choice to stand against the enemy when he's messing with your kids. It's a choice to keep going. Even when someone hurt us, we have to choose to forgive and forge a new way forward. Can I tell you what forgiveness means? Forgiveness means that you don't bring up what someone did anymore. Hello. It's not forgiveness if you're always bringing it up. Amen. Say it, preacher. Listen, the Holy Spirit will help you forgive, but you have to choose first. Jesus famously in John 16 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, as I close, he will guide you into all the truth. So the job of the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to the truth of what happened. And the truth of the matter is, yes, they did something. And the truth of the matter is, you can't change what they did. And the truth of the matter is, as much as you replay it and revisit it, you can't change what you did in that situation. But the Holy Spirit will lead you to that realization he's gonna help you forgive when you choose to forgive. So it's a choice. And, and forgiveness changes you. But more important than ever, and I would say the most important thing about forgiveness is this, number three, forgiveness is Christ-like. To be made more like Jesus means to forgive like Jesus. Forgiving like Jesus is hard. You know, Jesus walked with these 12 guys um, for three and a half years, 12 disciples. They were fishermen. They met him. Some were tax collectors. Some were other things. They came from different backgrounds, but a majority of them fished, and they were uneducated men. They were normal men, and, 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 and they gave their lives to Jesus. It didn't mean they didn't struggle, but they said, I'm going to struggle in the right direction of Jesus. So you can struggle away from God or towards God. And when you're going through something, you can go away from church or towards church. Or when you have unforgiveness, you can go towards that person or away from that person. But there is a reality too. Jesus walked with these 12 men and one of them would actually betray him. Y'all remember his name? Judas. Judas baptized people. Judas preached sermons. Demons got cast out when Judas laid his hands on people. Judas, Judas wasn't this betrayer when he was walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus. And Jesus sits with Judas and he eats with Judas and he loves Judas and he prays for Judas knowing that Judas would hurt him. And if you wanna love like Jesus, be made more like Jesus, you've gotta first learn how to sit with a Judas and how to really just know, yeah, they hurt me or they have the potential to hurt me. Here's the thing, all people in life will hurt you. You just have to decide who's worth hurting for. That's a word right there. <laughs> That's a word right there. All people in life have the potential to hurt you, but we have to decide who's worth hurting for because Jesus loved Judas. It's Christ-like. Here's what 
Philemon kind of ends with. He says this, no longer do you want to see him as a bondservant, but as more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Here it is, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Do you you hear that? The apostle Paul is putting his whole reputation on the line. The apostle Paul is saying, put my name on his account. And if I was there physically, receive him like it was me. Do, Do you understand? This is actually what Jesus does for us. Because we were sinning far from God. And then the father looked at us and Jesus went on that cross and basically said, father, receive them like you would receive me. And as Jesus was on the cross and he's dying, the people that are killing him are right there and he's dying. He prays a prayer. He looks up in the sky and he says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As they're doing it, isn't that funny? As the offense is happening, Jesus has the heart saying, Father, forgive them. This is why forgiveness is crucial, friends. Forgiveness demonstrates your faith almost more than anything else because it demonstrates how you were forgiven. And Romans 5 says, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And while he was being killed, he was forgiving us. So forgiveness is more than just a feeling. It's an action. It's something we need to do. Matthew chapter 6 gives, me one of the, it gives us one of the most frightening verses, I think. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching to a whole crowd, probably thousands. And, and like right around 14 or 15, somewhere 14, 15 or 16, chapter six, he basically says this, if you do not forgive others, my father in heaven will not forgive you. Can I just say that under the power of the Holy Spirit there? It doesn't need to sound cute. doesn't need to sound, you know, it might sound offensive, but like I'm just reading the book, okay? He says, if you don't forgive others, my father in heaven won't forgive you. That, that scares me. That makes me tremble and go, is there anybody that I have unforgiveness toward? 